Hi everyone, welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Hey, great to see you this morning. As Brian said, welcome. Uh, Those of you watching online, glad that you are making this a part of your weekend. It's a thrill to get to share uh, this time together. A couple just real quick things by way of announcement I want to be sure you know about. Uh, The first is coming up next week. I want to be sure that you know you're invited and welcome and hope that you'll be here. Uh, Next week we have a big um, food packing event. Uh, We did this back before COVID the first time. Uh, One of our uh, partners in ministry here at Faith Christian is a a group called Lifeline. And uh, Lifeline uh, works, has ministries all over the world. Uh, we've worked with them specifically in Cuba and in uh, Arizona over the last decade or so. And uh, one of the things we're doing with them is helping them pack meals. These pack little bags of rice and beans and some protein powders and things like that. Pack these meals that are going to get shipped. We're shipping these off to, um, to our ministry partners in Cuba. And we're going to be packing those next Sunday morning, or next Sunday afternoon, right after our morning service. And uh, we want you to know that you, we need your help. Um, our goal is to pack 10,000 of these bags next Sunday and uh, we can't do it without you. So plan to come to church next Sunday at, at 10 o'clock. Stick around. We're going to feed you. We're going to have lunch. And then uh, the, the Lifeline people will be here. We're going to kind of turn this room into a, a packing warehouse. And we're going to get those bags packed uh, next Sunday. Uh, all ages can participate in this. So bring your kids. This is for everyone. Uh, if you think, I can't stand that long, we have stools. We'll bring you a stool. We'll figure it out for you. So uh, we want you to be here and be a part of this great, uh, great experience of helping feed people and helping uh, make sure that food insecurity is not an issue for some folks as we do this in the name of Jesus. Uh, that's one of the things that we've kind of taken on as an initiative here is, our, uh, is helping with some food insecurity. And so we're partnering with our local Blessings in the Backpack and lo- local Tough Bags organizations as well to help get food into the hands of school kids in our neighborhood. And uh, we've been raising some money both for this packing event and for the Tough Bags. Uh, so in addition to our regular offering, uh, we've been taking some offerings uh, for this. We are, what'd you tell me, Brian? $2,400 away from our goal of $6,000 to, to cover all that we're going to be packing, plus uh, having some extra for our blessings in the backpack and tough bags. So if you would like to contribute to that, be sure you mark your check as meals, or if you give online, mark that in a special offering spot. Uh, you don't want to, uh, you want to be sure that we, we get that done. Uh, the next thing I need to mention to you is, uh, this is for our kids coming up the next weekend. Um, uh, Kara is taking our faith kids on a trip over to Pittsburgh to the Carnegie Science Center. So if you've got a kid um, in, in that elementary age, you want to be sure that you, she's got information, they'll be coming home home with today from junior church uh, but if you got a kid in that group be sure you talk to Kara if you haven't seen that information already to know what's going on that Sunday evening uh, that's the February the uh, that's the 10th the, the next week uh, or the next day is the 11th so two weeks from today and that evening is our annual Super Bowl party we've done this for years now we put the game on the big screen and we ask everybody to bring a crock pot of soup and we share together there's games going on there's cornhole and ping pong and the games on TV and we'd love for you to come be a part of that you don't have to stay the whole time matter of fact most people make it to halftime and then go home put their kids to bed. We get that. Uh, but if you, we would love for you to be a part of that. Bring a crock pot of soup to share. Again, that's come up in two weeks for our Super Bowl Sunday. Now that Sunday morning uh, on February the 11th, that Sunday morning, we'll be kicking off a brand new sermon series um, that I'm calling And Mind. And I talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this is a conversation that's kind of a follow-up to a series we did uh, about this time last year on soul care. And the purpose of this, uh, uh, the, the, the idea behind this sermon series that's going to start on February 11th is that um, God cares about our minds as well. So we're going to talk about men- mental health 
because that's an important conversation that we need to have as followers of Jesus, as people with mentals. Um, we, we need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves uh, as well. So uh, I hope you'll be here for that, that conversation. Again, that begins two weeks from today, uh, and mind is what that series is called. I hope you'll be here for that. This week and next week, though, we are finishing up this series that I'm calling How to Be Rich. And in this series, again, the, the theme of this series is not how to get rich, because I don't know, um, and you don't either. But the theme of this series is how to be rich, specifically how to be good at being rich. And one of the things that I've said over the last couple of weeks, the first couple of weeks of this series, is the Bible does not say, the Bible does not teach that it's bad to be rich. It's just that most people are bad at being rich. And we want to figure out how to be good at it as followers of Jesus. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to live in the, the wealthiest na nation in the history of nations, how can we be good at being rich? And if you want to be good at being rich, one of the things that you're going to have to do, we talked about this week one, one of the things you have to do is you're going to have to submit to clear, bold, biblical teaching. And that's where I come in. And I told you last week, I come in a little bit reluctantly. I don't like to talk about money, but Jesus made it a habit of making your money his business. And he talked about money a lot. I get hesitant to do it because I know the stereotypes. I know people think, well, all that church wants is money. All that preacher ever talks about is money. And the reason I know the stereotypes is because I know the jokes. Can I tell you another one of the jokes? All right, let's have another one. So this preacher standing up in front of his church one Sunday evening. And they're, they're doing a special offering. They got a special, uh, special event they're trying to raise some special money for. And so he says to the congregation, I tell you what we're going to do. If we can hit this goal, whoever gives the most money towards this goal that we have, they get to pick three hymns. And so people started walking up and put a 20 in, put a 10 in. We're kind of watching who's going to give the most. Who gets to pick the three hymns? Little old widow Maudie walks to the front. She's got her cane slowly walks up to the front, puts a check in the plate for $1,000. People didn't know she had that much money. They're amazed. Marty, how, how, what are you doing? She goes, I heard we got to pick the three hymns. Well, yeah, Marty, you put, that, you put that check in, we'll let you pick the three hymns. What are the three hymns you pick? She turns around, looks at the congregation, points to the three most handsome gentlemen. I pick him, I pick him, and I pick him. It's <laughs> a horrible joke. It's a horrible joke. I am under orders as a pastor of the word of God, as a messenger of God, to teach my church how to be good at being rich. So let me remind you again. I personally, I do not know what a single member of our church gives to our church or gives to any other worthy cause. I never have, I never will. So you can know, as we talk today, and again, we finish this up next week, that when I talk, not a single thing I say is filtered through the lens of knowing what you do with your money because I do not know. My calling is from God. My calling from God is not to gather dollars. My calling from God is to make disciples, to make followers of Jesus. And when you're making disciples in a culture that is as rich as any culture that has ever existed, you must teach on how to be good at being rich. 
So we've been camping out in a certain passage of Scripture, three verses of Scripture from, from 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're spending our whole time in this passage. We've been finding some principles in this passage, and we're going to do this again uh, today, find another principle from this passage on how to be good at being rich. And I'm going to ask you to read this with me. We did this last week. I had you read this passage with me out loud, um, and we're going to do it again. And last week, I kind of liked it. I don't know if you did or not, yeah, but I got the microphone. So um, I ask you to stand up with me as we read this. Let's, let's stand with, uh, with respect to God's Word, and let's read out loud these verses that Paul writes to his, his protege in the faith, faith, Timothy. He writes these to us. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning of verse 17. Let's read it out loud together. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. May God bless the reading of his word to his people. You can be seated. You can tell that Paul is writing these words as a pastor. He's very pastoral in these, in these lines. He cares about these people in this church that Timothy is ministering to. He cares about them because he knows them. He started this church. He knows these people. He doesn't care about gathering dollars. He wants his people to take hold of the life that is truly life. And he knows that to live a really blessed life, you must live a life that blesses others. So here's the third principle from this text that I want to give you. The first one, two weeks ago, we said that you've got to be humble about your wealth. Last week, if you were here, if you want to go back and listen online, you, you will learn that you, you have to trust God more than you trust your wealth. And our big principle this week is that you must bless others with your wealth. Did you know that generosity is good for you? Not, not just spiritually, of course you expect me to say that, we're in church, but physically. Did you know this? Generosity is good for you physically. The, the School of Medicine at Stony Brook, Stony Brook University released a study in 2015, and they said this, generosity reduces blood pressure as effectively as medicine or exercise. The New Republic magazine reported on a study that said when people are generous, it releases a chemical in their brain, chemicals in their brain like dopamine and endorphins that literally makes people feel good. U.S. News reported on people who are generous with their time. People that volunteer to help other people in hard situations have a 63% lower mortality rate. And then the University of Louisville revealed a study that said our money that we hold, our cash, cash money, that 13% of our coins and 42% of our paper money contain disease-producing organisms. So perhaps I should have titled this series, Be Generous or You Will Die. <laughs> well, we, we don't embrace generosity because of what we fear. We embrace generosity because of who we follow. So when Paul's meeting with the elders in Ephesus, the very church that Timothy's pastoring to, that he's writing this letter to Timothy, he's the minister of the church in Ephesus, and Paul's meeting with them as he's starting this church, he's about to walk away from them, leave it, leave it to them, 
The very last thing that Paul tells them about Jesus was this. This is in Acts 20. He tells them, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You read through the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or gospel accounts in in the New Testament, and you will see time and time again that wherever Jesus leads, generosity would follow. So let's go this morning, let's just go back to through some of the most basic, most foundational biblical principles when it comes to money and when it comes to our wealth. Here's the first one, and this is the most, I think the most important. We have to remember that God owns all. This is what I call a top button truth. You know, if you're buttoning a shirt, you get the first button wrong, everything else is wonky. This is a top button truth. What I mean, if you don't get the issue of ownership right, every single thing you believe about stewardship, about economics, about wealth, about money, everything you believe is going to be wrong if you don't get the ownership piece correct. The Bible makes nothing clearer than God's absolute right to all things. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Deuteronomy 10, look, the highest heaven and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. All of us who have parented children, uh, small children know that one of the very first words that a small child learns is mine, 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 like the birds in the movie. And the thing is, you did not teach your small child to say the word mine. We wanted them to say daddy and mama. They learned to say mine all on their own, which is proof of their depraved little hearts. Yes. <laughs> and so it begins very early. This battle to decide who owns everything. And God claims that he is the owner. God claims that he has a claim on everything. In fact, the very first verse of the Bible basically says, God made it, it ain't yours. And you might think, all right, I I don't even know if I buy the whole God thing. I'm not sure about any of this. That's okay, if that's you, listen, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for being here. Keep coming. Keep asking questions. Keep learning. Keep exploring. But here's something we can both agree on. Whether you're sure about God or not, we can both agree that you were born with nothing. And when you die, you're going to take nothing with you. And what that means, whether you believe in God or not, what that means is everything is on loan. Everything that you own is on loan, and that gives us the second basic biblical principle on money, that we are not owners. We are, this is a Bible word, stewards. We understand that we own nothing. We realize it is our responsibility to steward everything. Now, we're at a disadvantage here because we don't use stewards as much in our culture. But in the first century, when Jesus was around, It was a very common role in society. They lived in an agrarian society, so you accumulated wealth primarily through livestock, farming, and land ownership. And the owner of a farm or ranch would always hire a sharp person to be their steward. And the steward would manage the ranch. They'd take care of the grounds. Now, the owner owner of the land might take a trip. Back then, you didn't just go away for a weekend. You'd go away for weeks, months, maybe even years. And while you were gone, you would have the steward take care of everything. The steward had total responsibility to take care of what you own. 
And eventually the owner is going to come back. While he's gone, he can't call. He can't FaceTime. He's just going to have to trust the steward. He's going to have to trust. But when he comes back, and he will come back, when he comes back, the first thing he's going to do is find the manager, the steward, and ask, how did you take care of what I trusted you with? The steward is someone who manages the assets of an owner. You, you, may, you might not know this, but it's the first command in the Bible. Go all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that God made this and God made that. God establishes that he owns everything because he made everything. That's the story of Genesis 1. But at the end of that chapter, God turns to humankind and says, all right, now you, I've made it all. Now you rule. You have dominion. In other words, you take care of my world. You take care of what I created. You run the ranch. The very first thing that humankind is taught from God is how to be a steward of what God owns. Now, this has huge implications for us as, as people of God, as people who follow Jesus. This has huge implications. If God is the owner and we are the stewards, that, well, that means this has implications for how we take care of the environment. Yeah, e ecology is a spiritual matter because this is not your world. This is God's world. This has huge implications for how we use our time because time, you, you don't make it. You don't make time. Time is a gift from God. He decides how much you get and you steward it. This has implications for how we take care of our bodies, our health, how you exercise, how you eat, what you use your body to do, because the Bible is clear. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Honor God with your body. This has implications for how we raise our kids, because your kids are on loan from God. And it certainly has huge implications for how we manage our finances. Because we are actively and responsibly to take care of God's creation for God's purposes. That means that as followers of Jesus, we don't see ourselves as entitled. We see ourselves as entrusted. Because in God's world, in God's kingdom, you don't measure a life by how much someone owns. You measure a life by how they took care of what God owns. And we're going to be accountable. Jesus tells a bunch of stories about money. I told you this last couple of weeks. One out of every eight verses that Jesus uses, that Jesus, we have uh, words of Jesus are about money. Almost half of the parables are about money. So he tells a bunch of stories about money. And every one of the stories, the parables that Jesus tells about money, in every one of the stories, the owner always comes back and asks the question, did you manage well what I trusted you with? So let me just, for, for kicks and giggles here, let's just explore a few of these stories and consider for a moment, what does it mean to manage well God's trust fund? Let me be very clear about something. We gotta be sure we know this. My use of money will not, cannot get me into heaven. Do not hear me say that we can buy our way into heaven because we can't. 
Do not hear me say that we can pay off God because we can't. The only thing that can ransom a sinner is the blood of Jesus. But some of the stories that Jesus tells seem to imply that there is a connection between management and judgment. So let me talk about that for a minute. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells three stories right in a row. These three stories are are all about, are you going to be prepared for eternity? In the first story, there are these foolish and wise bridesmaids And they're there waiting for the bridegroom to come to the wedding. The wise bridesmaids were prepared. The foolish ones were not. The point of Jesus' story is pretty simple. Don't be foolish. The bridegroom is coming. The second parable, the owner gives to three stewards. There's our word again. In the second parable, he gives three stewards different amounts of his wealth to manage. Different amounts of assets to manage. He's gone a long time, but when he gets back, everyone knows what's going to happen. And the first two stewards have invested well, they've managed well, and they heard the words, well done. And they are rewarded. But the third steward in this story in Matthew 25 has not invested well. He's been lazy, and he received punishment. And then the third story is about sheep and goats. Let's just read it. Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right... Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Notice they're told, come take your inheritance. Come take your inheritance. An inheritance is not a wage. An, an, An inheritance is not something you earn. An inheritance is a gift that you receive because someone else dies. You'll notice the sheep have no idea or concept of merit theology. In fact, they're confused by what the master has said so they say in the parable then the righteous ones the sheep the righteous ones will reply lord when did we ever see you hungry and feed you when did we ever see you thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king will say i tell you the truth when you did it To one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Can I be honest? I hate this parable. I hate it. Because it hits right here. And I can't weasel my way out of it. I've tried. I've done the mental gymnastics. I can't get out of it. When you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. So the sheep in this story, they're not boasting. They're not back there going, yeah, I nailed it. No, no, no. They are unconsciously but consistently seeing their hearts overflow to others because their hearts 
have been changed by grace. They do what they do because they love the king. And when you love the king, you love who the king loves. And you understand that means more than saying, oh, my heart goes out for those poor people. Oh, I'm so, I feel so bad for them. Oh, bless their hearts. I feel so bad for them. No, no, no. When you love who the king loves, you do something. Because when you do it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it to me. Love does. My prayer for this church for the last, what, three years now? Every Sunday I pray for you. Teach us, God teach us how to love better. And we can't love better if we just sit on our tuchuses. Love has to do something. Love does. So even though my money cannot get me into heaven, I can't buy my way in, Jesus does seem to be implying that my use of money can keep me out of heaven. Or let me say it like this, you can't buy your way into heaven, but Jesus seems to say you could spend or hoard your way out of it. Jesus tells a couple of stories to make this point. In Luke 16, Jesus tells a story about a rich man, and at his gate is a beggar named Lazarus. The rich man never hurts, never does anything mean, but he never helps. And, the, and Lazarus, or the rich man dies. And he goes to a place called Torment. In Luke 12, Jesus tells a story about a rich guy. He's had an exceptionally good year. The barn is already full. He's had a great harvest. And by the way, his neighborhood is full of hungry people. You know what this guy does? His barn's full. He's got more grain coming in. He's got hungry people. You know what this guy does? He tears down his barn and builds a bigger one so he can store all the food for himself. And he dies. And God calls him a fool. Notice that in these stories, Jesus does not tell us about all the wrong things that these guys did. What he says is they did not do the right thing. The stuff of their sin was the sinful use of their stuff. The problem is not that they were rich. The problem was that they were just rich. And they saw themselves as entitled owners instead of entrusted stewards. So let me ask this question. If you don't own it, why did God loan it? Why does God trust you with what is his? There's, a, there's an old Native American legend. I love this story. Native, it's a Native American legend about a man who had some gold. He had some gold. He was very proud of his gold, and he wanted to protect his gold, so he took it out into a field, and he buried it by the tree. And every now and then, every week, he would go out to the tree in the middle of the field, in the middle of nowhere. He would dig up his gold, and he would hold it, and he would stare at it, and then he would bury it again to keep it safe. Well, a thief began to notice this behavior of this man with the gold. Notice he went out to the tree every week and dug something in the ground and then dug something back up. So if one day the thief ran, went out and saw the hole and dug up the gold and stole it because he's a thief. So the next week when the man goes out to the tree and digs up his hole by the tree, he notices that the gold is missing. The gold is gone. 
So he wails so loudly, he screams, he cries so loudly that his neighbors rush to his side and ask what has happened. And he explains to them what has happened, that a thief has come and stolen his gold. And one of the neighbors asks, what did you ever do with your gold? And he said, well, nothing. I just came to stare at it. And the neighbor said, well, why, why don't you just come out and stare at the hole? If you don't own it, why did God loan it? I saw a skit once at a Christ and Youth conference years ago. Two guys talking to each other, and one of them says, I have a question that I've always wanted to ask God, but I'm afraid to ask God that question. Well, what is it? What's the question you've always wanted to ask? Well, I've always wanted to ask God, God, why do you allow so much poverty? Why do you allow so much suffering in the world? Oh, you could ask God that question. Why don't you ask that God that question? No, 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 I just, I just can't ask God that question. Well, why not? Why don't you ask God that question? Because I'm scared. You're scared? Why are you scared to ask God the question about why there's so much poverty and suffering in the world? I'm scared to ask God that question because I'm afraid that God may ask me the same question. Here's the amazing thing. I can't use my money to get into heaven, but my use of money can put treasure in heaven remember the, the last the last little bit of the verse you stood up and read with me a minute ago let me read it again command them to do, to do good to be rich in good deeds to be generous and willing to share in this way here it is they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of the life that is truly life it doesn't matter if you're wise or if you're foolish you're gonna die but a fool it's going to leave everything behind in the barn. I'm going to tell you a story. When I tell you the story, your eyes are going to roll. You're going to think, there's no way this happened. What a, what a stupid story. But let me tell you the story anyways. 2013, Sydney, Australia. A young father who has some debts decides they're going to sell the family car sells the car, gets $15,000 for the car. He's going to use the money to pay off some bills, pay down the mortgage. Don't ask me why, I don't know this part of the story, but he had to keep that cash for a couple of days before he could go and pay off the loans. But instead of putting it under the mattress or hiding it in the closet, he decided he's gonna hide the money in the oven in the kitchen because they never used the, they never used the oven. You already know where this is going, don't you? So his wife comes home that evening and she decides she's gonna preheat the oven to warm up some chicken nuggets for the kiddos. And I already know what you're thinking. As all of that money is burning up, you're thinking, what fool would put his treasure in a place where it will burn? And you just took the words out of Jesus' mouth. What fool invests in a place destined to burn? Jesus says, don't, don't be that guy. You can't take your money with you, but you can send it on ahead. Where your treasure is, Jesus says, that's where your heart is. You see, following Jesus begins with a question of ownership. And here's kind of a foundational principle of following Jesus. Jesus owns me. If Jesus owns everything, then it, it follows that Jesus owns me. He really does. And that's where life as a follower of Jesus starts. I heard a preacher once say, I love this line. I am pre-owned, literally God made me, and I am tree-owned. 
In my rebellion and my sin, when I turned my back on God, he pursued me in the person of Jesus who went to a cross, went to a tree to pay for me. I am pre-owned and I am tree-owned. Jesus went to the cross for my sins. God took the wrath that I deserved. He put it on Jesus, took the righteousness I don't deserve and put it on me. And scripture says, now I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. I am pre-owned and I am tree-owned. And if Jesus owns me, doesn't it follow that he owns everything that I have? Listen to me. Most of you know me long enough to know this already about me. I do not, I do not believe in a prosperity gospel. I do not believe that. And I do, what I am not saying, I am, please don't hear me, I am not saying that if you will be generous that God is going to give you a whole lot of money. I'm not saying that. Here's what I am saying. In every single story, the owner comes back and the steward has been faithful. And the owner says, well done. Receive your reward. So you're thinking, preacher, you, you, you've given me a lot to think about. No. God has given you a lot. So think about it. Let me pray for you. Community team, if you take your places, please. God, we pray today for wisdom, for insight, for courage. Courage to take hold of the life that is truly life. And Father, I pray right now that every single person listening to me in this room, on this broadcast, every single person hearing these words right now is humble enough to receive whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to them and courageous enough to apply it to their lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.